Thank you, Pastor Keeley. Thank you very, very much. Nancy and I have enjoyed being with you so much. Uh, thank you for some of you have been here each service. Some of you have been here almost every service. And of course, friends and guests that would have come through the week or tonight, you blessed us by coming. Thank you for being here. I'm happy to get to know you. I feel like I have some new friends. And uh, so I'm glad for that. I didn't know Brother Keeley or Miss Joy before we came, only on the phone with a conversation or two. And so Nancy and I truly, truly enjoy being with them. And we even like Miss Becky, uh, we're still working on the other guy, but anyway, uh, we've enjoyed it a great deal. We've been blessed by it. And uh, you that uh, did uh, get a book, uh, I'm glad you did. And uh, I hope that you will read it. Uh, the one, uh, still a Baptist, neither angry nor ashamed. I told you Sunday, that's the only reason I'm carrying those books because of that one book. I want every home to have one of those books in it. And then the other book, the kind of orange color, it's uh, the morality in America. Where did it come from and why is it like it is now? And he addresses that and what we can do about it in this small book on prayer. And so anyway, we only have two t-shirts left. I think one's a 3X and one's a 2X. So if you've got a big friend, maybe you want to help cover them up. But anyway, uh, thank you very, very much. I want to go ahead and say thank you for giving to love offering to try to help us and be a blessing to us thank you every week i'm humbled by the fact that people take money out of their person and say we want to try to be a help and a blessing thank you very very much for doing that i appreciate it the number one thing i ask people to do is when you think about us if something happens in your head and you go that reminds me of that guy from Dave McCracken, that reminds me of Dave McCracken. What that means is you're supposed to pray for me. Just one sentence, all you got to do. Just let me give you a for instance. You're driving down the road and you see some fellow on the side of the road rolling on the grass over there. Like, well, that's strange. That reminds me of Dave McCracken. <laughs> what that means, you're supposed to pray for me. Just one sentence, just say, dear God, help that man. And God knows you're talking about me. You might be talking about him too, but you're talking about me. Our dear God, keep them safe. Dear God, keep using them. Dear God, keep them healthy. Just one sentence, go about your business. And someday God will bring us to your mind again. Just pray for us. That's the kindest thing you could do for me. I really would appreciate that. God has helped Nancy and I so much. We're in year 22 and... Uh, I've only missed uh, two services in 22 years. I was supposed to preach from illness, and I was in the hospital those two services. Had a surprise attack, and so that's the only time I've missed services. Nancy rarely, rarely misses a service. Uh, I tell her, I said, Nancy, you can stay in the hotel and rest. She goes, no, I want to go. I want to be there. And she does, and she's a blessing. She acts like she's never heard my sermon before, and she smiles and goes, oh, thank you. And it's a blessing. So anyway, uh, I'm thankful. I, I say this to churches all the time. If I go by myself, and Nancy doesn't go with me, in a couple weeks she won't be able to go. She has jury duty. So I'm going to go to a new place in Columbia, Missouri, and it'll probably be my last time to go. Because when I go by myself, they don't invite me back. But if she goes with me, they always go, you can come back. So, yes. So I drag her everywhere I go. She has to go with me. No, she has a good spirit about it. I'm glad for it. So thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for how you took care of us. I really, really am thankful for Brother Keeley and Miss Joy. And I love everything, their heartbeat and how their desire for what God's going to do with you folks here. So it's a blessing. So I haven't told you yet, have I? I'm sorry. I meant to. If you've got one of these ribbon thingy bobs or marker, put it in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. If it's where it was last night, it's Romans 8. So just go there and move it over one page. Romans chapter 7. 
And then turn to the book of Hebrews. It's in between Romans and the end of the Bible. So Hebrews chapter 12. Find Hebrews 12. Now I want to tell you this. In a little while when I say, hey, let's turn to Romans chapter 7, I want you to know we're not even close to done. Okay? <laughs> Through the week, every night, I've told you when we turn there, we'll be almost over. Not tonight. Tonight we're not even close but I can't wait to get you over there to Romans 7 and show you a few things over there. Hebrews chapter 12, if you're able. Would you please stand with me? I ask people to stand that we all might give reverence and give honor to the eternal, infallible, and errant. It is the perfect, preserved word of the living God. That's why we're standing to give honor to God's holy word. All right, tonight we're going to do it again. We're going to read verse 1 and what we call 2a. We've covered almost everything. Tonight we're going to finish up the cloud of witnesses, but I hope you see some pictures in your heart as we read these words. Look at verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. What a blessing. Let me pray with you, please. Our great God, I come to you again. I want to say thank you. Thank you for loving us and proving that you love us. Hallelujah. God, thank you for the occasion that Nancy and I get to be here at Bible Baptist Church. Thank you for putting on Pastor Keeley's heart that we might come. And I'm grateful that we're here. And I'm thankful for how you've touched our hearts and spoken to us. So thank you for what you've done. I want to go ahead and say thank you for what you're going to do tonight. Thank you. God, I pray it would last more than a couple of days. It would last more than a few weeks. That God, what you've done in our hearts today, tonight, this week, would have lasting impact as we do our utmost to stay in the race and keep our eyes on you. Jesus, we do love you so much. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for proving that you love us. And in Jesus, we sure do look forward to when we get to see you. It's in your mighty and holy name I pray, Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much for standing. <clears throat> Just quickly, I don't... Anyway, we're going to do it. Just a quick review, Christianity, there is a metaphor here that describes Christianity, and the metaphor is we're in a coliseum, there's an athletic event taking place, the athletic event is a race. Christianity is a race. Can somebody say amen? amen. And in the race, you've got to get on the team. Everybody's not on the team. But when you receive Christ as your Savior, you get your jersey, you get your number, you're in the race. Amen? Amen? He doesn't say, well, I'm going to put you on probation a little while. You've got to do this before you get in the race. As soon, as soon as you trust Christ, you're in the race. And the race, the idea is you're supposed to make progress in your Christianity. Amen? That's the whole idea. And the progress, ultimate end, the ultimate end is uh, we're like Jesus. So how long do I run until I'm like Jesus? Well, that might never happen. Oh, no, it will happen. When you see him, you shall be like him. So just keep running till you see Jesus. Amen? We know there's guaranteed discomfort. The race is called an agony, an agona. There's guaranteed discomfort. But he told us that we could hang in there and we could do it if we run with patience. And we defined patience the other night. Tonight I'm going to do it like this. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you can make it. 
If you take your eyes off Jesus, start looking around you, you're going to flip and flop and fail, and you're not going to make it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Tonight, he says, wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So that little tiny word, or the big word, if you want to call it, wherefore, tells you who this cloud of witnesses are. Seeing, wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with this great cloud of witnesses, the great cloud of witnesses is Hebrews chapter 11. I didn't name it this, somebody else did. I think it's a good name. It's the Hall of Fame of Faith. All these heroes of the Bible are in Hebrews chapter 11. It's not every hero, but every one of them that's in chapter 11 is a hero. And somebody said they're in the Hall of Fame of Faith. God recorded that these people did exploits by faith. It's awesome. So let me do this before we keep moving. Seeing we are compassed about with so great. There's at least two ways to look at the word great. One way to look at the word great is how many is in there. It's humongous. It's a big coliseum. Wow. It's a great crowd. That's one way to look at it. And I think that's possible. That could be what it is. But it's possible it could be another way. You could look at it like this. Whoever the witnesses are, they are great. Are they great because of themselves? Oh, no. They're great because of who their God is. And they're great because they hung in there. They're great because of their faith and they served him. Amen? My dad is in heaven. He's been in heaven now about nine years. Dad is in heaven, and I'm grateful for him. I'm thankful he was my dad and all that. My dad got saved when he was 25 years old. I was born later. So when he got saved, he had a couple children, and then he had some more children, and I came along later. And dad became a pastor of a church. My father had 11 children. He never pastored a church over 100 people. He never had a congregation that there were more than 100 people that came. Most of the time, it's anywhere between 40 and 50 or 60 people. He pastored a few churches, and that's the kind of congregation he ministered to. And, uh, hey, we need pastors who are willing to do that. And he did, and I'm grateful for that. My dad was never well known. He wasn't traveled. He didn't go all over America. And people didn't say, hey, would you come here? Would you do this? Would you? He never did that. He never wrote a book and never became well known. The truth is, I'll just go ahead and tell you folks, most pastors are never well known. Most. They're faithful. They're dedicated. They're committed. But most of them are not well known. There's only a few that come along and they get some attention and they travel some and so on. Some people think that I'm very well known. I'm well known because I'm an evangelist. I'm Dave McGregor. I am well known, look up here, in the little circle of people who know me. There's about 150, maybe 200 people churches, pastors, so on, that know who I am, and so I'm well known among them. But if you ask other people, oh, nope, never heard of him. And I'm, I'm not. But I'm just telling you, my dad, he was not well known. But I can tell you this, he was faithful. He was a man of God. He served God. He was faithful to the Lord and to the end. My dad was an amazing fellow. He st stuttered. So bad. He said before he got saved, he could not say suey if the hogs were after him. And some of you don't know what that means, but somebody might. But he, he couldn't. He said whenever he couldn't say a word, he would say a cuss word, and then he would say the word he was trying to say. When God called him to preach, he was scared to death to get in front of people and preach because he was going to go. And then, and then he said, oh, please don't let me do that, God. 
So anyway, I lived with my dad in his house until I got married. I was 21 when I got married. I lived with my dad. I knew him my entire life. I was 56 years old when he died. And so I will tell you this, in those 56 years, I never, ever heard my dad say one curse word. He did carpentry work on the side to help feed the family. I've seen him touch his fingers, his hands. I've seen him hit himself with hammers. I've seen him be stuck in situations and never one time. I provoked him. My brothers provoked him. So angry, but I never heard him say one cuss word in my entire life. I know he loved people. He wanted people to get saved. He wanted people to grow in Christ. He's my hero. I can say it like this. He's great. There are many. Now watch. He says we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. I know it includes the people of Hebrews chapter 11, but I think it includes heroes that you have too that are already in heaven. Amen. If you've got somebody that's been a hero to you and you're thankful for them, they are one of these witnesses too. So let me just do this real quick. I'll try to do it fast. I used to say, I used to say that these cloud of witnesses cannot see us. My dad's been in heaven nine years. If my dad is in heaven and he could see me, he's got a, ten other children, if he only saw me in heaven, my dad would be doing this. What is wrong with you, boy? Why are you doing that? Is everybody with me? My dad would be brokenhearted. And I said, well, my dad can't see me. Because in heaven, he's not going to be brokenhearted about my behavior down here. Two years ago, I read a book by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. And Brother Alcorn said in the book, well, wouldn't God be able to let people in heaven see folks on earth doing good and they don't have the ability to see them doing bad? And so I can't argue with Brother Alcorn and say, well, no, that's impossible. God can do that if he wanted to. So my dad might be blessed by me being in Pembroke Pines preaching right here at Bible Baptist Church, and my dad goes, keep doing it, boy. I'm cheering for you. You can make it. Is everybody with me? I can't argue with Brother Alcorn because I can't tell you whether my dad can see me or not. I do know this. The Bible says we're surrounded. We're compassed with this great cloud of witnesses. So I would say my dad could not see me, but when it said witness, it means his testimony is a witness to me that I should be faithful. So if my dad cannot see me, his testimony is still a witness to me. Can somebody give me a witness? His testimony is a witness to me saying, hey, Bubba, I stayed faithful. You can do it also. Amen? So I don't know which one it is. I don't care. I know we have a great, great cloud of witnesses. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. We're compassed with this great cloud of witnesses. I'm going to tell you some of their names that we know for certain because the Bible tells us, Hebrews 11. <clears throat> Abel, Enoch, Noah, Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Those guys, their names are listed in Hebrews 11. Is everybody with me? So they are witnesses, so David's life is a witness to me that I serve God, you can do it too. All right, now there's a couple of names inside here that are surprising. There's a name inside the, it's in, no, 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 it's in Hebrews 11, a Hall of Fame chapter, his name is Samson. Remember the long-haired dude that was real strong? Super strong, he could do all kinds of stuff. If he was not, excuse me, if all we had was the book of Judges, and that's all the book we had, we would not, most of us would go, well, he didn't go to heaven. He didn't make it. He was a womanizer. He was a liar. He was a deceiver. 
He was disobedient to God. Is everybody with me? We don't know that Samson is considered a man of faith until you get all the way to Hebrews chapter 11. That's like 800 years later. Is everybody with me? That's incredible. But Samson, he made it. There's somebody else whose name is in the list. It's surprising. I didn't read her name just a moment ago, but her name is Rahab. I don't know if you know her last name, but we only have her last name in the Bible recorded as the harlot. That's the only last name we've got for her. We can say this Rahab, but almost every time in the Bible when it refers to her, it includes the word uh, the harlot. She's in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Did these people ever mess up? Yes. Every one of them in the list except Joseph is marked down in the Bible that they messed up. We don't have specifics where Joseph messed up. I have some ideas of where he messed up, but it doesn't matter. I already know Joseph messed up because he was human. Is everybody with me? David messed up. He committed murder, and then he commits adultery. Or vice versa, he did the adultery first and then committed murder. David. Noah builds the ark. He's awesome. 120 years preaching righteousness. Preaching righteousness. 120 years building the ark. He's on the boat for over 13 months. 13 months he's on the boat. He gets off the boat, and a few months later he grows some crops, and he gets drunk out of his mind. I'm saying so drunk he doesn't even know what happened to him. He's in the Hall of Fame. Listen carefully. I'm thinking I got a chance. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> I got a chance to make it too because I'm just like these goobers. Amen? My favorite one to give you, he's not in the Old Testament but the hero of the New Testament, not Jesus, the Apostle Paul. My dad's favorite book in the Bible is Romans. Turn there with me, Romans 7. I want to show you our hero of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. Chapter 7. Uh, can I, I just want to say something out loud. I am so thankful that God didn't make me write down my personal life testimony that from now on everybody would read about it. Paul has to write down what God tells him to, his personal testimony. Look what it says. It's Romans 7 and verse number 15. He just says, uh, for that which I do, I allow not. Now, for what I would, mm, that do I not. But what I hate, oh, that do I. Verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, oh, that I do. I don't know if you're getting this. I don't know if you're paying attention or not. Paul sounds like a schizo. He says, I want to do good and I don't. I don't want to do evil, this is what I do. The good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that's what I do. Is everybody with me? He's the hero of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul said that sometimes I struggle. In fact, he didn't say sometimes. I'll just read it to you if you'll look at it with me. I'll show you. It's verse 21. He said, I find then a law. You know what the law of gravity is? That means it happens the same way every time. It's a law. He said, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Look up here, please. Look up here. He said, it's a law. Every time I would do good. Every time I would do good. Evil is present with me. Did you hear me? I didn't write it. He said it. I want to do good. Oh, evil is present with me. 
Now I want to show you what he means when evil's present with him. Look up here. Paul says, everywhere I go, and I want to do good, I go too. What does that mean? His flesh goes with him. Did you just hear me? Everywhere Paul goes, I'm right here with you, Bubba. The flesh is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Your flesh cannot please God. And yet, while we live on this planet, and I'm a born-again believer, I have a spiritual man, and I have a fleshly man. Is everybody with me? And every time I want to do good, he's right here with me. Can somebody say amen? Or maybe I'm messing up. Maybe, I've, maybe I'm talking to the wrong people. Maybe some of you are going, I ain't got no trouble like that. I don't have no trouble. I'm good. Is anybody hearing me? Or are most of us just like the Apostle Paul? We want to do good. We know what's right and we know what's wrong. And so often we do this. Paul's heart is broken. He just hardly can bear the idea that he's so disappointed with himself. I say this out loud. Verse 24. Here's what Paul thought about himself. Oh, wretched man that I am. Look up here, folks. I'm going to say this out loud to you. I say it out loud at lots of churches. You will not, you will not have a revival until you get honest with God and admit how you are in his presence. What did Paul say? Oh, mercy, oh, wretched man that I am. I just can't take it, God. I don't want to be like this. Does anybody hear me? He's confronting, he's confronting himself with the idea of being in the presence of God, and he knows that in him dwelleth no good thing. That's what it says in the passage. Dwelleth no good thing. And he just admits, oh, please, oh, wretched man that I am. And then look what he does in verse number 24. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul asks the question, who shall deliver me from this death? Wicked carnality, this flesh, this body, who shall deliver me? See, that's the right question. Most of us ask this question. What shall deliver me? What do you want me to do, God? Please just tell me what to do. I'll do it. Please tell me, tell me, tell me. You want me to go to church more? I'll even go on Wednesday night. Want me to give more money? I'll try. Want me to pray more? That's what you want me to do. Tell me what to do, God. Want me to pass out more tracts? Want me to knock on more doors? Want me to tell more people? Tell me what to do, God. Tell me what to do. And almost every one of us want to do what? We want to do something. That wasn't the question. Because no matter what you do, you cannot do enough to please God, to make your righteousness okay. No, we're wicked. And Paul says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he answers the question in verse 25, I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. The only way, the only way to be delivered from the body of this death is in, by, with, through Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. That is the only hope we have, friend, is in Jesus. By Jesus. Our flesh does not want to give in. Paul says, please help me. And Jesus, the Bible, the scripture says, well, you can do it. I thank God through Christ Jesus. Wow. That's a hallelujah. There's much more to do, but I got some other stuff to try to accomplish. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians, please? Just a couple pages past Romans 8 and 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm getting ready to read a few verses. What I'd like 
to do is read the verses and ask you to answer out loud. Who does that sound like? But because I don't want to get in a mental gymnastic debate with you or whatever, I'm going to tell you up front, it sounds like Jesus. Okay? Let's read Paul's testimony again. Verse 19. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. Why? That I might gain the more. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law as without the law. Then he parentheses, he says, being not without the law, not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ that I might gain them that are without the law. Let me just explain that verse 21 real quick. Just real quick, look up here. To them that are without the law, to them that are lawless, I became lawless too. But then he explains what he means by lawless in the parentheses. He says, uh, not being without the law to God, but under the law to Christ. What he means by that is that when you're around lawless people and you're trying to reach them, you don't do lawless, wicked things to hang out with them, to reach them. He says, you're still under the law to Christ. Is everybody with me? There are some yahoos that go, I hang out in the bars, that's where I hang out. I, I drink a little bit, but I'm just trying to reach people that are in the bar. Is anybody hearing me? That's silly. You don't go where sin and wickedness abounds and do what they do, I'm just trying to reach people. No, you're still under the law to Christ. Can somebody say amen? amen? But that doesn't mean that I should not try to reach them. I still should try to reach them. I just don't live with them and live like them and do what they do. Okay, here we go. Keep going then. Uh, verse 22. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Verse 23, and this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partakers there with you. Watch verse 24, this is so cool. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? Look up here, look up here. He's got a metaphor for us, did you see it? He said, hey, 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 don't you know when a race happens, who's ever running in a race? Well, they all run. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? When the, when the whistle sounds, everybody runs. Amen? How many people win the prize? One. Only one gets to be number one. Only one gets the gold medal. Amen? I have the, Paul's just given the analogy here. Hey, hey, when the race happens, everybody runs, but only one gets the prize. So let me give you Dave McCracken's observation of this. It's not a good testimony, I'm just, but I'm telling you how I really am. If someone invites me to do an activity with them, let's just say we're going to, I don't know, play basketball. If I know I do not have a chance to win I don't want to play. It doesn't matter what the game is. If I don't have a chance, I am not going to embarrass myself. I don't want to do that because I know they're going to win and beat me real bad. I don't care if it's checkers. I played my dad one time, one time in checkers. I was somewhere around nine years old. We got all these board games for Christmas. There's a bunch of kids. and. When we played checkers, he said, boy, you want to play checkers? I said, I know how. Okay, let's play checkers. So we moved, and we moved a few times, and he goes, hey, son, you got to take your jump. I said, why? He said, that's a rule. Okay. And he goes. He beat me in about three minutes. He goes, you want to play again? I go, no. And I never played checkers again with him. I'm not going to do that. I don't like to play checkers. If you beat me, I ain't playing you. Is everybody with me? And as eagle, I'm serious. If you beat me, I'll just play one time. 
You have to be nice. Is everybody paying attention? I'm just saying I don't like to lose. If I know I'm going to lose, I'll just give up. That's a bad testimony. It's not a good character. It's a character flaw. It's not a good character trait. Watch, 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 watch. Know you not that they which run in a race, run all, and only one receives a prize, and I'm going, it ain't me. I already know I'm not going to, I'm a, I'm a, I've messed up my life a lot. I got all kinds of problems, and I've messed up a lot. I know everybody's out there in front of me. Since I already made, I made comment about him, I'll just go ahead and tell you, Brother God, he's in front of me. I don't know him well, but I know this. He's in front of me in the race. You know how I know? Because I know me. I don't know all about him, but I know about me. Is everybody with me? Brother Gus, I don't know you. I don't know much about you, but I know this. You're in front of me in the race. Because I don't know all about you, but I know this. When I want to visit, oh, evil is present with me. I mess up all the time. Is anybody hearing me? So then listen, here's what I'm saying. If you got the same problem I do, here's what we're doing. I know I ain't winning. And so what do we do? We slow down. We give up. Listen to the Holy Bible. You can read it if you want to. I know you not that they which run in a race run all, and one receiveth the prize. You know what the next word is? So. How many receive the prize? One. So. The next word is run. Doesn't matter how many receive the prize. Doesn't matter. So run. How am I supposed to run? I don't have a chance. No, he said, so run that ye may obtain. Act like you're going to win. Act like you are the winner. I love to be around people. I love to be around people that no matter what you talk to them about, they act like, oh, I'm awesome. I can do it. I've been, I, I'm the winner. I know. I'm, I'm. And they have such a positive attitude and a positive energy about them. You're thinking, you're crazy, man. You're out of your mind. You know, oh, no, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I'm going to win. And that's what the scripture just told me and you. So, run that you may obtain. Don't quit. Don't give up. Just because everybody else is in front of you, you know what you're like. So what? So run that you may obtain. Do not give up. Keep running, somebody say amen. Mercy saves. Look at your Bible. Watch this. Verse number 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Look up here, please. He says all these people that are running in the race, they're striving for the mastery. Watch, they're striving to get the gold medal. He said they are temperate in all things. These Olympians, what does it mean they're temperate in all things? It means they have some self-discipline. They have some self-control. This morning I got up early and I ran a couple of miles. I'll tell you out loud, I did not want to. I don't like it. But I did because I'm striving to get healthy and ready so I can walk down the Grand Canyon and out in one day. If I don't prepare and strive, I ain't going to make it. They'll have to get a helicopter and fly me out of there. Is everybody with me? I'm striving for the mastery. I'm striving to do the Grand Canyon. And it's going to take some self-discipline. Did I want to run today? No. Will I run tomorrow? I'm, I get home tomorrow around 10.30 a.m. And I've already made the commitment. Yes, I'm going to run tomorrow. Do I want to? No. But I need to because I'm a little bit behind in my training because I had a little surgery that messed me up for a week or so. And so I've got to catch up. Is everybody with me? Striving for the mastery. They want to get the gold. They want to obtain the prize. And it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some training. It takes some self-discipline. I just want to read to you how A.T. Robertson and then a guy named Epictetus let me tell you what they said about these people striving for the mastery. The athlete then and now has to control himself, 
Training for 10 months was required under the direction of trained managers. Abstinence from wine was required and a rigid diet and a regiment of habits. Epictetus of the first century said this, Thou must be orderly, living on spare food, abstain from confections, make a point of exercising at the appointed time in heat or in cold. Horace says, the youth who would win the race had borne and done much. They had sweat and they had been cold. I'll go ahead and tell you, I had to look up the word confection. I didn't know what it was. I do now. He said you could not have confections. Abstain from, confections is chocolate cake. Today at lunch it was key lime pie. Abstain from confections. I'm just telling you the truth, I'm telling you. If to go down the Grand Canyon and my fellow who's helping me train and so on, if he says, now Dave, for the next six months you cannot have chocolate cake. Well, I ain't going down the Grand Canyon then. <laughs> I'm going with somebody else. That's what I'm doing. If my coach told me, okay guys, we got six months to train and nobody can have any chocolate cake for six months. I'm going, I'm on the wrong team, dude. I got to find another team because I got to have some chocolate. Is everybody with me? But these people do it to obtain, according to the Holy Bible, look what it says in verse 25, for the mastery, they're tempering all things. They do it for a, to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, an incorruptible. He said, they're doing it to get an olive branch. They make it a wreath. <laughs> And put it around their head and they walk around and they go, I'm the winner. How long does that last? <laughs> Not very long. It's corruptible. But what we are doing when we say no to the flesh and we are trying to be temperate in all things, we're trying to be dedicated to the master, we're doing it for an incorruptible crown. Somebody say amen. Come on, let's hurry up and finish this. Look at verse 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. Look up here, please, please, please. Paul said, let me tell you how I run. I am running. I am running and I have an idea in mind and I'm going to run this race with some self-control. I'm going to be, he said it like this, I'm going to be temperate in all things. Excuse me, that includes chocolate cake. Temperate in all things. Is it okay to eat chocolate cake? Praise God, yes. But should you eat the whole cake in one setting? It should take at least two days. <laughs> breakfast, lunch, dinner, breakfast, lunch. Yeah, three divided by six pieces, you can do it. No, it doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter what it is. You're supposed to be temperate in all things, in what you eat, what you drink, who your friends are, what you spend your time doing. Amen. He said, he said that's how I run. I therefore so run. Now watch, he changes the metaphor. This is pretty cool. No, I want to I finish the thought. I, uh, verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. Please hear this. He said, I am not uncertain of why I'm not eating chocolate cake. I know exactly why I'm not eating chocolate cake. I'm not uncertain of why I don't watch this TV show. I know exactly why I don't watch that TV show. I'm not uncertain as why I don't spend my time and hang out with these people anymore. I know why. I'm not uncertain about it. Is everybody with me? I'm not uncertain why I don't do these things, and I am certain why I do do these things. People go, why do you go to church on Wednesday night for? What's wrong with you? Because I need to. I need it. And I don't want to forsake the house of God. Somebody say amen. Why do you always talk about reading your Bible? Because I need to. Is anybody getting this? Why do you give that money to the church? Because I need to. If I want to be blessed... If you rob God, you're messing up your blessing. Don't get me started on all that. I wasn't going there. But anyway, just 
Now watch what he does, verse 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, now watch, so fight I, not as one beating the air. So he changes the metaphor from running to boxing, or what the old-fashioned word is called as pugilism, a pugilist. They fight and they hit each other in the head and punch each other. There's much to describe about it. I don't have time, but I do want to show you this. So he says, this Christianity is also like a fight. Not as one that beateth the air. I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm not striking nothing. I'm actually hitting something. Watch what he says, verse 27. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Paul says, it's as if I am beating, watch, It's as if I'm beating my own body because I am bringing my body into subjection. No, 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 look up here, look up here, look up here. I'm not going to let my body tell me what to do. Does anybody hear me? Has anybody in this room, has anybody in this room ever really, really been craving chocolate? Am I the only one? And my body is going, please, just find some chocolate find some somewhere. Paul said this, I fight. Not as one that beateth the air. I bring my body into subjection and I say, to bed, no chocolate for you. Is chocolate sinful? No. It's God's medicine. Helps people. But if the chocolate is not going to help me in my race, I might should put it aside for a little while. Is everybody with me? Whatever it is, it doesn't mean it's wicked and sinful, but it might be this part of the race, I need to put this aside because I don't want my, listen, I don't want my body to tell me what it wants and it gets to have its own way. I'm going to tell my body, no. I keep it under subjection. Can somebody say amen? Wow. All right. Did Paul ever mess up? Did David ever mess up? Noah? Yeah. Joseph? It's not recorded, but he did, didn't he? Go back to Hebrews 11 and I'll finish. Watch this. I'm sorry. Yeah, Hebrews 11. Wow. I've still got about seven minutes to go, maybe, maybe eight. So just hang on. It's not two minutes. <clears throat> I'm going to read Hebrews 11 and I want to show you these heroes and what they did, even though they messed up. Even though they messed up. They hung in there. Look at it, chapter 11, verse 32. And what, I'm going to read fast. I'm not being disrespectful, but I want to hurry. What shall I read? What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who, through faith, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Hebrews 11, 34. Quench the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned the flight of the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, bonds, imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asundered and tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, having not re received not the promises, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. All I'm trying to get at is all these people listen to Hebrews 11. They still, even though they fouled up, they still did things that honored God. Can somebody say amen? All right. If you were in Denver, Colorado on Interstate 25 going south toward Colorado Springs, there's an exit and it's uh, on Highway um, 
24, State Highway 24, that if you go right, you're going up into the mountains, the Rocky Mountains. Highway 24, you're going to a place up there called Cave of the Winds. And there is a two-lane highway that goes up there, and after a little while, it starts doing this. has all these switchbacks going back and forth, going up the mountain. Switchbacks going back and forth. There's one particular turn, if you're almost to the top, there's one particular turn that it's an optical illusion to you that many people are in their big old pickup truck and they go in real slow when they stop. And they think they can't make the turn to go that way and they're afraid if another car is coming they're going to bang into each other and people slow down and some people actually stop. And when they stop, if they sit there and they're looking around long enough, they will notice that there's a sign over here about 10 feet off the ground. It's a big placard that says these words. Oh, yes, you can. Thousands already have. And so they go on around the turn. I'm telling you, that's what Christianity is for me and you. These great cloud of witnesses, they're the placard. When you and I are doing our Christianity and the race is getting tough and hard, the, 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 the sign says, oh, yes, you can. Thousands already have. Amen. Some years ago, I was a college student, I suppose. I came across this piece of poetry that I want to read to you, and I'll make a comment and be finished after I read this to you. It was written by a lady named Dee Groberg. The name of her poetry or the poem is called The Race. She tells why she wrote the poem at the end of the prose here. So let me read it to you and I'll make a few comments, I'll be done. Quit, give up, you're beaten, they shout at me and plead. There's just too much against you now, this time you can't succeed. As I start to hang my head in front of failure's ugly face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. A children's race, young boys, young men, how I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear, it wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up, so full of hope, each sought to win that race, or tie for first, if not that, at least take second place. Father standing on the side and each cheering for his son, and each boy hoped to show his dad that he would be the one. The whistle blew and off they went, young hearts, hopes of fire. To win and be the hero was each young boy's desire. And one boy in particular, whose dad was in the crowd, was running near the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as they speeded down the field across a shallow dip, the little boy who thought to win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his hand flew out to brace. Amid the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat upon his face. So down he fell, and looking hope, he couldn't win it now. Embarrassed, sad, he only wished to disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood tall and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, He quickly rose, no damage done. Behind a bit, that's all. He ran with all his mind and might to catch up for the fall. So anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win, his mind went faster than his legs. He slipped and fell again. He wished then he had quit before with only one disgrace. It's hopeless, says the runner now. I shouldn't run the race. But in the laughing crowd, he searched and found his father's face, that steady look which said again, get up, run the race. So up he jumped to try again, 10 yards behind and last. If I'm going to gain those yards, I've got to move real fast. Exerting everything he had, he gained eight of the 10. But trying so hard to take the lead, he did slip and fell again. Defeated, he laid silently, a tear dropped from his eyes. There's no use 
running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out. Why try? I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. Then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to, he'd have to face. Get up! An echo sounded loud and low. Get up! Take your place! You weren't meant for failure here! Get up! Run! The race! So up he rose to run once more, and with a new commit, he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been, still he gave it all he had, and he ran as though to win. Three times he'd fallen tumbling, three times he'd rose again, too far to hope to win, but he still ran the end. They cheered the winning runner as he crossed the line, first place, head high and happy, a big smile upon his face. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line last place, the crowd gave him the greater cheer for finishing the race. Even though he came in last, his head bowed low and proud. You'd thought he'd won that race to listen to the crowd. To his dad, he sadly said, I didn't run too well. To me, you won, his dad said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seemed dark and hard, the memory of that race, in spite of all life's ups and downs, I cannot quit the race. Hey, friends, the question is not, are you ever going to mess up? Or are you ever going to fall down? That's not the question. The question is, are you going to get back up? That's the question. Will you make a commitment that you get back up? I guarantee you we're all going to crash and burn. We all foul up. We all live down here. And God in his goodness doesn't say, McCracken, that's about ten times, boy. It's over. No. Get up. You weren't meant for failure here. Get up. Aren't you glad he lets us get back up? Oh, I'm thinking that's something like a revival. If you and I would just make a commitment in our heart and soul that this race, God, I know it's not going to be easy all the time. It's not simple. But I'm going to keep my eyes on you. And if I do foul up, if I do mess up, I'm not going to let the wicked one keep his foot on my neck. I'm going to get back up, get my eyes back on you, and I'm going to run the race. Wow. If you're not saved, oh, I got such good news for you. You can be. Jesus Christ died to save every soul. All you got to do is admit you're a sinner and believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He won't turn you down. He wants to forgive your sins. If you don't know for sure you're saved, please let us help you. We're not going to embarrass you. You don't have to give a speech, but we sure would like to pray with you and help you know you're forgiven. So Brother Dave, Brother Dave, I'm already, I'm already saved. Well, how are you doing in that race, though? Are you willing to be temperate in all things? Are you willing to make up your mind, just make the decision? Some of you, probably, maybe even tonight, some of you are down in the, in the dirt. You've fallen and you don't want to get back up. And tonight in this service, Jesus is telling you, get up. Come on, get up. And you say, well, I don't have a chance. So run. Run like you're going to win. Just keep running. What a great Savior. I ask you to stand with me. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. Bow our heads. I'd like to pray with you. Dear Jesus, thank you. My heart is full tonight that you allow me to be in the race and you allow me to get up again and again and again. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for the hearts in this room. If someone's not saved, I know that you know they're not saved. And I believe with all my heart you would touch their heart and convince them they need a Savior and you want to forgive their sins. 
I pray that tonight they'd want to do that tonight. Help them, convince them. Christ, every one of us in this room, we all know that we fall, we mess up. I pray that all of us would make the commitment, we're going to get back up. Thank you, Christ. Our heads are bowed, and Rebecca's going to play, and Brother Kenny's going to begin to sing an invitation song. If you want to sing with him, you're welcome to. If you need to respond tonight, why don't you just say yes? Why don't you come tonight? Brother Kenny, go right ahead. Come on, say yes tonight. Amen. I'm going to hang in there, Jesus. I'm going to get back up, Jesus. If you're not sure you're saved, let us help you tonight. Amen. What a blessing. Thank you, Christ. Thank you.